Hi everyone, this is Roman Mars. I mean, this is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. So I was out all last week at the TED conference. I gave a talk. It went great. I'll let everyone know when the video is released. I just had this amazing time. But I'm exhausted and I need a week off to recuperate. So the episode I want to rebroadcast is an old one, but it's a favorite of mine. And I remembered it when I was being interviewed on the TED stage by Helen Walters. Here's the relevant section of the interview. So Roman, I suspect that you're a really good person to talk to at a cocktail party because you can come up with a really good rant about whatever's on your mind. What if you? What is your other favorite design rant? Favorite design rant? I can complain about US money for a long time. <laughs> what is it about US money? So that's what this episode is about. My problem with American money. It dates back a few years to when the show was just a one-man operation, so I hope you like it. While I have you here at the beginning of the show, I have a couple of business items. First is that we have a survey that I'd love for you to fill out. It lets us know how we're doing and demographic data about who you are and what podcast you like. So it would really help us out. Go to surveynerds.com slash 99. We'll also have a link on our website. It just takes a few minutes. I also want to give an extra shout out to some of the musicians who are regulars on 99PI. Keegan DeWitt, who I first discovered as the composer of the Cold Weather soundtrack. We use it a lot. He is brilliant. OK Akumi and all the artists on Hell Audio are fantastic. You cannot go wrong with them. The folks at Abandoned Building Records, in particular, I love the band Set in Sand, and we use this song that I'm talking over right now in the credits quite a bit, and everything I say sounds good on top of this song. And last, but certainly not least, our pal Melodian, who makes music that inspires me on a weekly basis. There are so many more, and I'll remind you of them regularly on the website and at the end of the show from time to time. They all make great records. They're all on Bandcamp. If you go support great artists like them, you will feel good, and the world will be a better place. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. U.S. paper currency is so ubiquitous that to really look at its graphic design with fresh eyes requires deliberate and focused attention. So pull out a greenback from your wallet or look at a picture online if you're in another country and just really take it in. All the fonts, the busy filigree, the micro patterns. It's just dreadful. From a pure designer's point of view, it's... I don't know, it's, it's, that's tough because it is a little bit subjective, but... Um, but um, it's horrible. There's like eight fonts on this thing. Typographically, graphically, symbolically, if it had never been designed before and someone was to submit that as a solution, I think they would just sort of throw it out. And I don't want to get too critical at this point because there are actually pretty compelling and understandable reasons for its particular brand of horribleness. But I think the primary tension embodied in the design of the greenback boils down to how my friend Tom Nelson at the blog Humans and Design puts it. When I handle American money, it feels like an artifact because it's so ornate and it has an old look to it. Even though paper currency itself, just the idea of money is a massive, world-changing technology, the look and feel of U.S. paper money is very stagnant. It seems like a relic from when our country was founded. Would you buy a car that still looked like the Model T Ford? No, you buy the latest model of it. Things evolve and change with time. That's Richard Smith. He runs a contest called the Dollar Redesign Project. It's become a classic, like classics do, 
through time and through usage and through familiarity. So its awkwardness from a design point of view has kind of been superseded by its symbolicness. So if you were to start from scratch and redesign U.S. paper money, Smith says there are five major areas where we could improve. Number one is color. The idea of using one color doesn't really tell you much other than that we like the color green. Our largely monochromatic money kind of baffles me. We've introduced a purple five and some peachy hues, but there are a lot of colors and most countries use at least some of them. Number two is size. Well, why is the American currency all one size? It's always been a question mark in my head and just never really made sense practically and philosophically. Having variable sized coins certainly helps us sort them and you could use the same principle for bills, which leads us to point number three in Smith's manifesto, functionality. Some functionality that enables people, if they can't see, to clearly distinguish on a very sort of fundamental level which note is which. The fact that there's no easy way for the blind to use our currency goes beyond bad design and is actually immoral. Then the next fundamental thing I thought was composition. That's number four. Meaning, like, what's it made from? This is a, is a little sort of uh, conceptual into, like, where this could go, but, you know, it just seems that a product designer could come in and sort of come up with something really interesting. Recycled material with a smaller carbon footprint or more durable synthetics that last longer. And at the very heart of the Dollar Redesign Project is number five. Symbolism. Who should go on the bills and why? You know, why are the founding fathers the be-all and end-all of everything that is America? And I think for me, that's the one of the biggest issues. If we were to change anything, I would say that was that would be where I would start. It could be a, a platform to celebrate everything that is unique, special, different that you didn't know about America. And that's the suggestion that can get a British expat on his way to American citizenship, like Richard Smith, some colorful hate mail. But it's an intriguing list nonetheless, even if you just view the five suggestions as a philosophical exercise to assess the current design for all of its strengths and faults. It's hard to imagine all those things being modified on U.S. currency, but it's not hard to imagine each of them being implemented somewhere. In fact, most of them are implemented everywhere. Case in point, Australia. On the other side of the world, each and every one of these five issues have coincidentally been addressed. Let me introduce a masterpiece of Australian design and technology. Australia's new $5 plastic note. I'm really proud of our money. I I have absolutely no idea why I'm so proud of it, but I really am. That's Tristan Cook, and you're about to hear why he's so proud. Tristan and Tom Nelson, who you heard from briefly at the top of the show, are user-centered designers, and they run a blog that I'm a big fan of called Humans in Design. Tristan is Australian, Tom is American, but Tom went to school in Australia for a couple years, and the money there made a big impression on him. The money is plastic, and they're all different sizes, and they're colorful. At first, these changes were disconcerting. It all just looked like toy money to me. But after Tom's initial shock, he began to appreciate all the different design characteristics of Australian currency. First is the color. $5 $5 is sort of a lavender. $10 is blue with a little bit of a green stripe in it. 20 is... When you look at the, the ways that you can tell the differences between things, you, generally it's uh, called coding. That's the very simple human factors term for it. And you code through things like size, shape, feel, and color. 
So in Australian money, we have ours coded primarily by color. Which in some ways is a better index because it doesn't require knowledge of who's on the bill. It only requires recognition of a color. Or an association with a pineapple or a lobster. It's not very common just yet, but we call our notes um, colloquial names by their colors. And my two personal favorites are calling the $20 note, which is sort of an orange color, calling it a lobster, and calling the $50 note, which is a sort of a, a green and yellow color and calling it a piney which is short for a pineapple. It's all about the pineys. Number two, size. The bills are also different sizes as well, so they feel different in your hand. Sometimes when I've got a bit of cash in my pocket, I can tell the difference between a $5 note and a $20 note because of the feel. I would say that it's about a centimeter difference between each denomination, which between a five and a 10 isn't that big, but between a five and a 50 is very big. So you get like, four centimeters difference. Both number one and two relate to the third issue raised by Richard Smith, and that's functionality. You can see whether you've got a five, a 10, a 20, or a 50 from the top of your wallet. Because of the color and size differences. Number four, composition. It's a thin sheet of plastic. The Palmer notes were developed primarily to combat counterfeiting. It feels like plastic that you can fold and scrunch up. You can actually um, put it through the washing machine and it'll be fine. If you drop a note on the floor of a men's room, you don't really feel bad about picking it up and putting it under the faucet before you put it back in your pocket. These plastic notes cost more, but they last longer. They tend to last four times longer than fibrous paper notes. So you get notes in Australia that are 20 years old and they pretty much just look the same. What Australia chooses to put on its currency is more in keeping with what Richard Smith of the Dollar Redesign Project would like to see. It's much more inclusive than founding fathers and monuments. But it's hard to tell if these symbols are conveying much of anything to everyday Australians. They don't put statesmen on on money frequently. There are artists and poets and... uh, I think uh, there are some Aboriginal leaders. If that's another thing too, you could not put prime ministers on on our money. We don't have the reverence for prime ministers in Australia. But most Australians couldn't name the people that are on their money. I have absolutely no idea who is on any of our notes except for one side of the $5 note is the Queen and that's just because I don't want her on there. I, I'd imagine if you asked any Australian if they know who is on their notes, there would be less than 1% of people who could name anybody other than the Queen. The symbolism in Australian cash seems to be tied more to the innovation of the bills themselves. There's a certain pride that polymer bills were developed in Australia and have been exported to the rest of the world. Australia now manufactures the polymer notes of nearly 20 other countries. It's a good business for them. The good design of the currency itself is the overriding brand. It's no ordinary note, however. It's Australia's new polymer $10 note. And it was developed and printed right here. I would like to see American currency redesigned and treated more like a living piece of technology rather than an artifact. I think even the most jingoistic among us could concede that there are design innovations that could be incorporated into U.S. currency to make it better. But there are some interesting reasons why we probably won't. You know, someone once told me that getting rid of the greenback would be like burning the flag on the steps of the Capitol. That's David Woolman. My name is David Woolman. My book is The End of Money. For a lot of people, our currency is a physical touchstone of our national identity. Some of this is emotional, but there is this other concern that is simultaneously tantalizing and scary, I think. 
And that other concern is that when you redesign the money, you remind people what currency is and what gives the currency value. And of course, what gives the currency value is our belief that it's valuable. And in in the religious sense of it, nothing more than faith or trust or worship, whatever you want to call it, makes a dollar worth a dollar or worth whatever you're going to buy with it. So that is upsetting to a lot of people. And to maintain the aura of strength and stability of the United States economy. It probably helps to maintain these legacy features in the design of our money. Through what is now three or four generations, we've had the same color, I think, since like the Civil War. The portraits, the engraved styling, the filigree, the legacy features convey stability. And our currency, the currency on which all other currencies are hitched, has to be stable. So not only do we not redesign the stuff, but we don't pull older notes from circulation either. So we'll have reissues and redesigns of our cash, but you can still use the last generation design as legal tender. In other countries, a complete redesign deprecates the old design. You're given a grace period to use or exchange it, but after a certain date, the old currency is shredded by the central bank and you can no longer spend any that you have left. This has never been the case in the U.S. You could even use an 18th century coin stamped with just the value of two cents to go buy something. You might want to be careful because that could be so stupid. It could be worth, uh, you know, $3,000 to a collector out there. But if you want to go spend it as two cents, you can. And again, this is part of creating this aura of super stability and inherent value of Federal Reserve notes. David Woolman is quick to point out that even though these concerns of instability have been cited when people bring up redesigning the money or eliminating the penny, he thinks it's pretty irrational and an overly cautious stance. It seems to me a little bit patronizing to think that Americans couldn't handle a dollar redesign. But really, who is going to push it forward? You know, if you're going to go work in government, don't you almost by definition have some of that sense of patriotism and nationalism that would make you a little bit more inclined to like the greenback as is and a little less inclined to, uh, you know, let some RISD hotshots get after it. (laughs) Fair enough. But still, primarily driven by anti-counterfeiting measures, U.S. currency has been pushed to change in recent years. And most of these new designs are why it looks worse than ever. The legacy features remain largely intact, but a layer of modern fonts and swirls makes the bills look like they're busting at the seams. It's the worst of both worlds. You know, it's absolute chaos. There's there's very little that's elegant about our money from a design standpoint, as far as I understand it. When I told David Woolman about my newfound discovery and appreciation of the Australian dollar as evangelized by Tristan and Tom, he was less than impressed. I don't, I don't think it's that remarkable. Congratulations to the Aussies and the scientists who came up with polymer banknotes. Uh, and I think they profited well because of that innovation. But I'm just not convinced it's a very world-changing kind of thing. It's, it's pretty. Hey, I personally think pretty counts. But from his point of view, a better designed banknote, even a plastic one, is still just a piece of paper. I mean, his book is called The End of Money, after all. The design efforts out there related to money that excite me more are the design 
for the user interface of apps for mobile money, right? How are we going to be transacting with money in PayPal, mobile, and Google Wallet? And what are designers bringing to bear on those interfaces? Because our, the interface with paper or polymer money, it, I get it already. And the truly interesting frontier of design is not going to be the banknote art that the Swiss come up with in 2016, right? It's going to be the interface with mobile apps and what designers are doing to make our interactions with money more fluid, more sophisticated, uh, and possibly, God forbid, even like wiser. You know, who's, who's designing the apps to make us a little more careful with our money? And how are they bringing to bear sort of the principles of design to make that happen? And this is something that Tristan and Tom are totally on board with. Physical money is probably on its way out, and polymer money, as cool as it is, is a technology of its time. They themselves have actually designed clever user interfaces so that the good aspects of physical money are attained, and transactions feel more tangible and more real, even when it's just bits flying through the air. So the physical U.S. $20 bill will probably be gone from widespread use before it's a lovely shade of orangey red. I'm okay with that. Just as long as I don't have to see that wavy Six Flag amusement park font that says 20 USA in the background. I mean, seriously, what the hell were they thinking? That font is even cruel to Andrew Jackson. And that guy was a jerk. Invisible is now Sam Greenspan, Katie Mingle, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7 KALW in San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm who gives us a free home in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible comes from our fancy and filigreed Kickstarter backers, including StoryWorth. The easiest way to record your family stories and preserve them for generations to come? Find out more at storyworth.com. And from Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. If you have an idea, jump on it and make something out of it. The first step is buying a domain name. Hover makes it super easy and fun, and if you're like me, you'll get even more ideas by registering those domains, and then you'll register more. I think... I might actually have a problem. If you have several dozen ideas rattling around in your brain, whisper them into Hover's ear and they will set you up. They are your completely non-judgmental BFF for crazy ideas at 2 a.m. Go to Hover.com to reveal your hopes and dreams to your secret Canadian confidant and use the offer code GAME and I'll save you 10% of your first purchase. That's Hover.com. Support is also provided by Squarespace, the fast and easy way to create your own website, blog, or portfolio. Squarespace recently launched their latest version of their platform. It's called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, and beautiful, beautiful new templates. Try the new Squarespace at squarespace.com. It's free for two weeks, no credit card required. And when you purchase, enter the offer code INVISIBLE at checkout, and I'll save you 10%. Squarespace, start here go anywhere. And finally, we are made possible by Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My boy Maslow always has something to say. And three years ago, on this very episode, he revealed what would be in his Tiny Letter. My favorite thing to talk about is robots and Iron Man suits and stuff. Robots and Iron Man suits and stuff. Not too much has changed, thank God. TinyLetter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful, the simplest way to send an email newsletter. 
from the great people behind MailChimp. Thanks to MailChimp, the Knight Foundation, and people just like you, we were able to create Radiotopia from PRX. Welcome to The Allusionist. That's allusionist with an A, not an I. This is criminal. Welcome. Welcome to Stranger. To the heart. The truth. The mortified podcast. Theory of everything. Radio diaries. Love and radio. Fugitive waves. From the Kitchen Sisters. Subscribe to them all at radiotopia.fm. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. We're all on Twitter and Instagram. Avery runs the Tumblr. I make the Spotify playlists of 99PI songs. Well, remember to go to that uh, survey, surveynerds.com slash 99. But I encourage you to explore the entire world of 99% Invisible at 99pi.org. Radiotopia.